0: There we go. Greetings, friends of the Apocalypse. This is Podcast at Ground Zero, your home for the Apocalypse, for episode 77 of uh, the Gamma World fanzine. I am the Apocalypse nerd. He is Adam's, Adam, uh, Adam Baumglancy. You almost said your middle name. and uh,
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's a state secret at this point. I think it's I
0: But here you're Adam Baumglancy.
1: Here I am Adam Baumglancy. That is correct.
0: And a special guest tonight is Tom Wilson from Throw-Eye Games. So yeah, hi to the folks, Tom. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. We're excited to have you. So what we're going to be talking about today is Tom uh, from Throw-Eye Games currently has a Kickstarter. Uh, for a Gamma World fanzine. And when I say Gamma World, I'm talking about the good Gamma World, not the... <laughs> no,
1: not. no, you don't want to be accused of engaging in, what was it, uh, what did they call it? Edition uh, Adi- uh, Wars. Addition yeah. Wars, yes, oh my gosh. Heavens to Betsy, we wouldn't want to engage in Addition Wars.
0: Uh, I'll engage in Addition Wars. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's the good Gamma World, and so he has a, a fanzine up for that, and... Uh, he's also done, done some other Game World content, plus a lot of other old-school gaming stuff. Now, uh, I was telling Tom before the show, or I was trying to tell him, but then we we had to get going here, was I don't like using the term old-school, because I know there's a whole OSR movement, uh, old-school role-playing, old-school gaming. Which I don't know. I just don't like the word because it makes me feel old. And <laughs> um,
1: So uh, it's it's that part reflects the reality. Is that the problem with this term?
0: Um, remind, reality reminds Real-
1: you of your mortality, which is hurtling at you like a meteor to the towards the dinosaurs.
0: Yes, uh, but because to me it's not old school role playing. To me, to me it's just gaming because that's what I played for a long time, and it yeah. wasn't wasn't old school. It was just D and D or ga- it was just gaming. Now all of a sudden, oh, that's old school gaming. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, your gaming now is some kind of jumped up video game uh, anime BS uh, World of Warcraft on uh, 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 disguising itself as a paper and pencil role playing game. But that's a whole other story. Um,
1: yeah, but, I'm not sure how much more high tech uh, we're going to get in the tabletop world. I mean, I get it, where you know. Indiana Jones and the fate of Atlantis and monkey Island and doom and Wolfenstein were these old 16 bit games, you know, back in the day. And now, you know, uh, now there it's, it's now, now Wolfenstein is, you know, something, you know, far more, uh, you know, uh, let's say uh video card heavy than it used to be. Uh, but I'm not sure where the, where the, um, the giant jumps in technology have necessarily happened, in tabletop, do you know what I mean? Um, there have been some nice changes. Well, there's some changes about you know, uh,
0: well, self publishing print on demand has really gotten good. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, a lot of people do a lot of uh, uh, with miniatures now with uh, like screens on a table oh, for fog yeah. war and exposing stuff, you know, uh, 3D printed 3D printers for your own miniatures and terrain. So technology has affected it. And also you're
1: right. you're right.
0: And it also has affected it because a lot of times people who maybe, maybe all three of us used to play together when we were kids, but now we all live in different parts of the country, but we have the power of the internet to be able to play together online.
1: So, so, so we're going to use the internet uh, to to play first edition Camel world. Now that's what I call progress. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it is. It's like, well, you know what? When we don't live, you know, you don't live around each other. It's like, you're kind of forced to, it's uh but it's the modern world, you know, because, again, didn't they used to say that people who played gaming were, were anti-social weirdos? It's like, no, but we're actually socializing together. Yes, you know? we
1: are. Just away from everyone else.
0: Away from everybody else. All right. Well, no, enough of that stuff here. So we're really here to talk to Tom, okay? So
1: Believe it or not.
0: Believe it or not, we're here to talk to Tom. So... Uh, the first thing you know, we're going to ask Tom to do is to tell us a little bit about himself, who he is, what he does, and a little bit about his company, ThrowEye Games.
2: All right. Oh. Um, I uh, I started uh, ThrowEye Games around 2010 uh, with two purposes in mind, which was to um, do some small writing work, uh, adventure modules and such, and then. Um, Kind of a, a jump from where we were a few minutes ago, uh, a text-based, text-based online game that I've been writing for many years.
1: Ooh, nice. Talk oh, about old school. Well, I got
2: bad news about that part of it. But, oh, uh, no. You know, there's good news coming, though. Um, that that quickly took a backseat when some of the work that I started doing in the writing writing channel really took off. So I've put a lot of that stuff on hold to get through the backlog of things that I've wanted to get done. Um, so really, in 2010, you know, I had two focuses. Now, for the last five, six years, it's been mostly one focus: writing and publishing my own work for multiple systems, and doing so now starting to do some freelancing for other companies. So I've written a bunch for um, Frog God. I've written for Fail Squad. I may do some writing for a few other firms here in the next year. Um, but I have a serious backlog of work that needs to just get printed. Uh, when I say serious backlog, I mean. I have between 15 and 20 adventures that are mostly written that need to get pushed out before I feel pretty good about what I have accomplished with that, um, that area. Uh, really focused on, um, old school games. And I say old school games very fondly because I want to play the games. I want to write for games that I played when I was, was first introduced to the hobby in 82. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love Gamma World and BX. Cause that's what I started with those two systems. So, um, I just like to write for that stuff, and I write for that stuff because nobody else writes for that stuff.
0: For uh, people who might not know what
2: BX is, can you explain that? Sure. I I look at BX as basic and expert, which is the Moldvay, Cook, Marsh versions. Um, Some people will throw BECMI into that mix. Some people will throw Holmes into that mix. Um, I'm I'm good with all of that, actually. But when I talk about BX, I really care mostly about – Vase Basic and Cook Marsh Expert. Uh, that first seven to twelve levels of Basic D and Expert D are what I care about the most, and I've been doing a lot of work uh, in that space as of late. So,
0: okay, very cool. Yeah. So yeah, basically, for the folks who may not know what he's taught is in the history of gaming. You know, there was you know the original there was the original books in the seventies. Then there was uh, the Holmes Basic Set, which was a book, uh, blue box and then the uh mold I always get his name wrong moldiv moldve mold molday mole moldve moldve thank, thank you it. uh which were the first basic and expert sets that came out and then later on a couple years later there was a the frank Metzner ones which were the red uh the red the red box which most people seem to know but this was you know this was around um around the same time uh, advanced dungeons and dragons was around as well um so it, they kind of coexisted at the same time. Okay. Um, uh, so that that's what that that's the, where, that, where that originally uh, came from. It's not that one was like you went from basic to advanced. You could go through basic and expert for a very long time. I just think the rules are probably a little more streamlined, uh, a little s- simpler, for lack of a better term. Uh, whereas the advanced got more
2: complex. But I think they were still pretty interchangeable. You know, sure. sure. I mean, I, I gravitate. I gravitated then and still gravitate to now games where the rule book becomes, you know, something that stays on the side of the table and you bar- and you barely refer to it because the game is that simple. And that's what I like about first edition Gamma World. That's what I like about BX. That's what I like about Swords of Wizardry. Many of the games that I play, they're just – you just don't need the rule book. And if you can play a game without a rule book, it's just a lot better time. So,
1: All the rules you need are right there on your character sheet telling you right. what you need to do and exactly. Exactly. what your
0: options are. Exactly. Yeah, Well, me and Scott have had discussions uh, probably on the show about uh, gaming, about how, um, you know, people say that, you know, the rules don't matter and that's a whole nother discussion, you know, it's like, but uh, it, it always boiled down to you need some kind of, at least some kind of rule system to refer to because you need some kind of mechanics to uh, determine outcome, you know, so you always need some kind of system because if systems didn't matter, everybody would be playing, uh, you know, uh, the great Moody, you know, <laughs> or, or not, or, or once upon a, once upon a time the or what? Amber.
1: Amber, Amber, Amber. Oh Dice, yeah. Yeah. Diceless Amber. Yeah. Story yeah. Games. Story games,
0: Yeah. It's like, cause it's all, it's all the, th- everybody's everybody says that it's all a theater of the mind. It's all about, it's like, I agree to that to an extent, you know, but you still need at least everything doesn't need to be costly have your nose in the book, but you, you do need at least some kind of structure, you know, and-
1: and the uh, well, thing I think always go to is, uh, you know, uh, there should be multiple systems because you should always have a sort of uh, the rules should model the genre. You know, if you're going to play a sword and sorcery game, you should have sword and sorcery rules. If you're going to play a Jason Bourne spy thing, it should, it should you know, have, give you the ability to parkour your way out of the American embassy, you know. And if it's, uh you know, if it is playing, uh, I don't know, a horror game, you need to have, you know, some way of generating uh, a mechanical, you know, fear, even, fear. If, there yeah, even if there isn't at the table that always the rules should, uh, there should be individual rules for individual genres because so many of the genres are so far apart. Um, what was it about the um, original Gamma World rules that uh, sort of, uh, most attracted you uh when you first I mean when you first ran into them back in nineteen eighty.
2: Yeah, I, I played I played a good year at D D before I went to science fiction. And that's only because I moved to uh, a new town and all the kids liked Star Wars and that kind of stuff. So they wanted to play a sci-fi game. So I picked up the box set which I still own today. Uh, the original one. Yeah, I didn't get rid of that one. Um And uh, we started playing that. And what I was immediately drawn to was, um, believe it or not, were the flowcharts. Oh, yeah. Flowcharts were the first thing that sucked me into that game because it made sense to me. Now, later on, I became an an IT person and, and a software developer, and that was sort of I look back at those days saying, yeah, I was destined because I like flowchart, uh, <laughs> I like logic. I like things that take a certain path. So I was attracted to, to that. Also, the simplicity of the rules, 60 pages. You get everything you need, monsters, artifacts, character development, et cetera. But to me, it was a very straightforward, simple game to play. And, and it fit the need of the group at the time. And we played it for a year and a half before we moved on to other things. So.
0: Absolutely, very very cool. So yeah, so folks are just listening or are listening to it. It's um, yeah, this is a game. This is a game heavy uh, episode. (laughs) So if you're for those who are listening, but we are talking about Gamma World, so it is post apocalyptic game, and we know that that's Jared's favorite game. So, Um, but a a big thing I want to talk about because um, Tom currently has a Kickstarter project on Kickstarter, of course, for a Gamma World. Fanzine, so
2: why a roll fanzine is what I, I wanted to ask you. Well, um, I rarely am able to to meet the uh, Kickstarter initiatives when they pop out. They, I always tend to tend to be a little late to the party. But I got I got my um, I, I heard about this one early, and I was like, I got to do another fanzine. I got to do something else. What? And, uh, um, let me stop you for a second. Uh, when you said uh, the
0: Kickstarter initiative, what do what you what are you referring to?
2: So Kickstarter puts out initiatives every so many months to try to spur a little bit of activity. And they came up with a uh, um, initiative called the Zine Quest. And they reached out to um, folks like me and others that said, Hey, you know, you've done projects before. Would you be interested in doing something along this? You've done a bunch of game heavy Kickstarters. Why not do a, uh, a fanzine? And I looked at it and said, yeah, I've been wanting to do a Gamma World one. And, I'm kind of mired in doing the BX one every quarter and I'm writing a bunch of stuff in North Texas and a bunch of other stuff, but I can squeak a fanzine in for Gamma world anytime. Um, and so I, I basically said I'm throwing myself into the ring and I I launched on February 1st, the first day you were able to do it on Kickstarter and I want to p- produce a really cool little zine that has adventures, new mutated monsters, some tech, um, Flow, more flow charts that you can use. Uh, and then I just been piling on more stuff as, as we meet lots of little stretch goals. It's not expensive. And that's what I want. I want it to be a little book, a little digest book that you can have at the table or use with, to prep for games and have some useful content. So now
0: for uh, again, folks, again, we may have a lot of listeners who may not know um, as much about uh, gaming. Um, and fanzines so uh let 's talk about uh just for for a moment here all of us let 's talk about the, the fanzine for especially for gaming like um for those you know fanzines were of course uh gaming magazines because like in especially oh,
1: any kind of magazines, the zine world oh, the
0: zine yeah this fanzine yeah it was so was
1: huge in the nineties even,
0: even prior to that in the eighties uh,
1: before the before the internet came and broke it all um. I, I think that's really what saw the end of the zine was uh, it was this moment when desktop publishing meant anyone could be a publisher and uh, reasonably and with a reasonable price layout, illustrate and publish uh, their own media for the very first time.
0: Well, and also to explain what the fanzine is, the fanzine is, it is a fan produced uh, con- uh, content, whether it's for gaming uh, music. Uh, there was all kinds of uh, fanzines out there. It, it, like, especially again, Scott said, the early nineties. A friend of mine used to do this underground uh, music fanzine, and um, um, he put out half a dozen issues of it. it was all It was all on newsprint, you know, printed really cheap. I actually wrote a couple little tiny, you know, quarter page, little half page little pieces for you know about whatever uh, music was going on at the time. So, fanzines are this self-published content that people do, and especially in gaming, uh, the history of gaming, there was a lot of um, uh, there was a lot of fanzines out there which popped up for, uh, especially for D anD D. Isn't that's how? Uh, if I remember correctly, Tom, correct me if you know this one. Uh, Judges Guild, isn't that how isn't that how Judges Guild started by doing kind of like fanzine content almost or no? Um, I think they did very low cost
2: adventure modules. Point. Mm-hmm.
1: As long as we're on the subject, I'm going to have to point out that the wife used to do a zine here in the city of Seattle in the 90s called Sacred City uh, that she and her friends published, and uh, we still have a few of the old issues boxed up. But as you know. Zines were a thing, and it was uh, it, it was a thing that kind of uh, faded away once everybody had a website. Yeah, you know? and,
0: and people used to do it, uh especially for gaming, because at the time the big gaming magazines, especially uh starting in the sev- late mid to late seventies and eighties, yeah, you, you had Dragon magazine, you had White Dwarf, you had uh who did Steve Jackson Space Gamer, uh, mm-hmm. you had um uh Ares magazine. And
1: and let's not forget. Pagan Publishing started with a zine called The Unspeakable Oath back in 1990 when those guys were still in high, in uh, in college in Columbia, Missouri. That's how Pagan Publishing started as a zine publisher. So
0: so fanzines were a way for the fans to create put out their own content. Uh, like if they felt something was missing or they had a really exciting idea, they would put it out there. So the, like you said, Scott, Scott said it was right. The fanzine kind of – went away once the internet came around. I mean, people still did it, but not like they did. Basically you had, people had, uh, it got replaced by blogs, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. but the fanzine was something tangible. It was tactile. You could touch it. You could have it, you know, you you were excited for it to come out. You could look through it and, and read it. So and permanent. It's, and it's permanent.
1: Yeah. There's something about those paper zines. that was more permanent.
0: Yeah. So that's what, that's what the fanzine is folks. So, uh, so apparently like Tom had explained, Kickstarter did this initiative to kind of bring back the fan scene and a bunch of different publishers, uh, I know jumped on that. I know Steve Jackson games, uh, mm-hmm. was, is doing one for the new, uh, fantasy trip that they, that they brought back, uh, into print. I'm, I'm waiting for my copy of the Leg- legacy edition. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, fif- like a 15 pound box. It's like, there's so much content. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, I'm so excited to get it. Um, so, as uh, Tom was saying uh, that he want, like he, I guess he had said, and I, I guess he said he did say that he wanted to do one uh, for Gamma World. Now you said BX, so 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 uh, from my from what I've seen on your site, you have, you have a an ongoing fanzine that you're that's called Back to Basics, right? That's Correct. So he's currently, so he was currently, Tom was currently producing one for. Uh, again, the basic and expert uh, editions of, World, of uh, D&D call Back the Basics. So he's already producing fanzines. So right. he, took, he took the opportunity to, opportunity to do the game World one, which I am thankful for because I'm always excited to see new content get out there for, 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 for Gamma World.
2: Yeah. Well, zines are, zines are a great way for fans to celebrate the game that they love. It doesn't matter if it's old or new. It's just a great way to get people – some new content, some additional stuff that they can use, and then just, you know, makes, it gives you the warm and fuzzies to to make something that, you know, people will love to, to have in their hands. So.
1: Mm, absolutely. I, uh, I, I'm thinking back to when I first, you know, ran into gaming, and, um, you know, it was a tiny market, and uh, I know that there were people who – I have friends now who I, I have since found out that they were – you know, uh, some of their first writings was with FASA back when they were in Chicago and they were uh, desperately cranking out, you know, stuff for uh, Traveler and for uh, the Doctor Who game and all that kind of stuff. Um, and their first publishing was like, at you know, 17 or something when they first got published. Um, but I was, uh, you know, I, I, you know, when I first ran into this stuff, oh, yeah, I, I had, you know, brimming with ideas that were never going to go anywhere because... Where was I going to find a venue to publish it? Now that we're old enough, and now the technology is at our fingertips, where we can we can make all the stuff we were thinking of when we were twelve. Oh my god, that's that that is an enormous amount of fun.
2: Well, what's great about fanzines for me, and actually writing in general, is that I can produce content very very quickly. Um, I can I can build a fanzine in, in just like three days. However, I'm usually waiting on somebody's submission or some artwork or map and that's usually what drags it out and that's why i've only committed to doing um the bx fanzine quarterly i can get the fanzine done in two weeks i just need to wait for everybody else to do their part so for gamma world i haven't committed to um the regularity yet but i know that with the success of the first one already i will plan on doing another one and then we'll just take it one at a time and see what happens
0: yeah because that would be my very next question was was the Gamble World fanzine
2: going to uh, continue after the Kickstarter? Yeah, it definitely will. And um, when I reached out to Jim Ward to, for an interview, um, he sent me a message back saying that he would, you know, if, he, if, he wanted any, if I wanted any articles from him, he would be glad to write them. So that actually makes it, you know, future issues something really interesting to have some of his work in my little fanzine.
0: Oh, that's, that's so exciting to hear that he's going to do future content for it. And as far as I'm concerned, it makes it canon because it's coming from Jim, from Jim Ward. Right, right. It's, a, it's, it's official. Right.
1: <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Um, as soon as I crawl out from underneath a couple of uh, my own Kickstarter, which is weighing me down, uh, as soon as I crawl out from a couple of under, other projects I've got going, I'm going to absolutely – scribble some stuff out because that guy that other guy on the screen there that that guy down in florida he has ridiculously gotten me interested in gamma world again and and mm-hmm. it's just i shouldn't be i should not be i should be looking forward to other projects but no all of a sudden i'm interested in gamma world again and uh i i absolutely have to get this out of my system or it's just going to bounce around inside me like a bb until my head explodes sure. I, i've got to get it out
0: oh yeah there's, there's nothing wrong with loving Gamma World, okay?
1: <laughs> Dolmars are stupid. That's a direct quote from you, Mr. Wallace. Dolmars, Dolmars are stupid. Dolmars are stupid. Dolmars are
2: stupid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that That's a phrase I came up with like a, lo- a long time ago. We were talking about Gamma World, and we were talking about it, and I was like, I was like, you know, as much as I love Gamma World, Dolmars are stupid.
2: <laughs> I, I go... <laughs> Well, yeah. I think the entire economy in Gamma World is stupid. I mean, who wants gold? Who wants Domars? It's like there's other things to get that are have more that have more value. So, well, yeah,
1: exactly, but it, exactly, but putting into the
0: context of when it was created, okay, sure. like '77, um, and basically it was like basically it was D and D in the future. It was D and D, you know, like like uh, Metamorphos Alpha was a dungeon crawl in space. And Gamma World was, was post apocalyptic DD. So, of course, they're going to have gold because that's what they knew. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Coinage, something that rattles in a bag. And, um,
0: and, of course, you know, they had a couple of something futuristic. So, they came up with, let's have these colored plastic coins that yeah. represent
2: money.
1: <laughs> you got to give the guys credit who did the original Fallout. The whole thing about bottle caps is hilarious.
2: Oh yeah, because
1: it, it, it almost feels like that bottle cap thing is a deliberate shot at the Dolmar. I mean, it almost feels like, like they played that in high school or whatever and went, yeah, we're not going to have, we're not going to have plastic coins in the future. We're going to have something like, I don't know, shirt buttons or something that has fallen off the survivors that we're now trading around like their coins or something, you know? Um, but yeah, anyways, I, we're going to have to do something we're going to have to do something about the Domars. I want to I desperately want to come up with some sort of ridiculous reason that Domars exist. You know to, to justify this ridiculous idea in well, the world. Like well,
0: maybe, maybe we could work on an article and we could submit it to the fanzine. I and
1: I am w- all in favor of this, sir. We can, I, would, I would
0: accept that gladly.
1: So we can we can retcon the Domar? <laughs>
0: So, uh, so it's going to continue, and I, but but this also about the um, just one more question about the about the fanzine was um, basically what edition I assume I can assume an edition it's going to focus on, but I want to hear from you. What edition do you do you feel the, the, the zine content really focuses on? Because there's seven editions of Gameworld now, so
2: uh, it's going to be the first, of course, of course. It, to me, to me, it's the one that's the easiest to play. The uh, simplest set of rules, and it's sort of what started the whole thing. And, and, you know, people who play Gamma World know the first edition and how it all started, and that's that's what, that's what we're going to target.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Now,
0: and speaking of the Gamma worlds, uh, from I know from uh, what I've seen, because uh, on a previous show, uh, we had one of our shows, our our topic is called Off Topic, where we just talk about a lot of random stuff, uh, again, post-apocalyptic uh, I came across two, your two North Texas com, uh, North Texas RPG Con Game World modules, and we talked about them and kind of you know gave an overview and reviewed them on on the show already. So mm-hmm. we've talked about your content already, and uh, I guess I just really wanted to know is uh, what inspired you. And you might have already covered it, but let's just kind of reiterate it. What inspired you to create uh, World modules? Because you said you were already doing. Uh, bx content why jump off to gamma world what inspired you all
2: right so funny story um every year when i go to north texas and i've been there the last five six years uh I, I take a look at the the game schedule and i see what's what's missing what is nobody you know and what's nobody running And the first year i think it was three years ago um i noticed that nobody was running gamma world i said how can this travesty exist we should somebody should be running gamma world so i said I'll run Gamma World. So I made the first adventure, which was um, Into the Wreckage. The book turned out bigger than I wanted it to be for a con game. But I was like, well, then people get some extra content. I think it was like 40 pages, 48 pages, something crazy. Um, And I had people like wanting to sit in on the game. And I I ran. I think I I generated 12 pregens and ran out. It was like people just crowded the table wanting to play because nobody else was running Gamma World. Um, and because of that first year success I said I'm going to do this every year So then last year I did A Dish That Serves No One And then this year This June I'll have my third Gamma World installment there um, I'm also going to be running Top Secret um, BX and Swords and Wizardry So I'll be running four games there But the Gamma World will be packed It always is uh, And I use the same pregens every year too So people try to get the same one they last <laughs> year.
0: I, th- I think I need to make an effort to get out to North Texas, con- North Texas yeah. RPG
2: con It is a great con. Cause every, almost every game is represented. Now, the only reason why I'm running top secret is because uh, now that Merle Rasmussen is running his new world order version, the new one, uh, I want to run the old one. See again, I'm, I'm back to the old stuff. I like the stuff that I played when I was in grammar school and high school. So I'm going to go back and run the original top secret. Now that Merle's moved on to other stuff. So, uh, I like the old games, and, you know, if if people keep sitting at my tables to play Camo World, I'll keep writing game World. That's the,
1: the two scenarios that we looked at were the um, uh, exploring the uh, Air Force base that had been sealed up during the war, uh, that the uh, the uh, orbital junk is crashing on the community, and the one with the uh, the aircraft wreckage that leads to a base. And the two things I loved about both those scenarios was despite the fact that these are unpillaged uh ancient sites, you built in these great reasons, these great organic reasons why the place isn't just a giant grocery store of stuff for the for the for the players. That these places melted down from the inside and failed and Supplies were used up, and they're, they're they're damaged, and it's not just racks and racks of Mark Five blaster rifles. You know, right. you did a great job, very organic. Uh, Mark Mark
0: Mark Seven blaster rifles, Scott.
1: Okay, see there you go. <laughs> you have, you, have, you, have, you have counted sorry. nerd coup on me. It is I, sorry,
2: so I had to. Sorry.
1: All yeah. right, me, your I, nerd, your nerd is stronger. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm very very big on. Um, Well, I, I too, am a huge fan of post-apocalyptic in almost every possible way. Like, I love the Mad Max movies. Uh, I play only, pretty much only, post-apocalyptic video games. Um, So, for me, it's like, I don't want it to be easy. There shouldn't be, like you said, Scott, there shouldn't be a grocery store of stuff. It's like, you're a scavenger. And you, you should celebrate the fact that you found one thing or two small things. Not, I can't carry all this stuff out. You know, I don't like that kind of gaming in general, but mostly in this setting, it's got to be every little bit of thing you find you either can put to use or you can um, treasure it because you're never going to find it again. So yeah. I like that. I like that kind of game.
1: Well, I agree completely. And both those scenarios created really nice organic reasons for the scarcity, which is always one of the problems. When I was a certainly when I was a kid, when I was 12 or 10 years old, designing game world scenarios. Um, as a kid, I was always sort of like, well, if the place has never been re- you know, never been broken into before, isn't it going to be just stuffed to the gills with shit? But if it's been broken into, isn't it going to be empty? I mean, I've got to find some way of creating a balance, too. And I don't think I ever really quite got there um, with my own material. But yeah. reading your stuff, I was like, well, that was the question I was trying to answer in 1979. God damn it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, really happy with them.
2: Well one of the one of the, my favorite parts of the second one I wrote which was uh, a dish that serves no one was the fact that that base inside that mountain definitely went to shit there was a battle inside for survival amongst people who were friends and you know compatriots so you know it got down to where there was no water no food and you were willing to kill the guy that you used to call your best friend just to get something to eat and it was if you read the whole thing in its entirety the story is pretty clear It went sideways in there and Yeah,
1: it's down to the last cannibal who
2: starved. Oh yeah. That's That's,
1: that's how that scenario went. And it's a nice it's extra cool because these are the ancients, the ultra civilized people who made the world possible and they're eating and shitting their buddy. You know, that's that was a nice lesson for the survivors who go, Oh, maybe the ancients aren't so cool, you know? (laughs) You know, maybe they're just fucking animals, man. And I, I really like that part, you know.
2: Everyone goes down to their base instincts at some point, so.
1: Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I love about Gamble World is somebody described it as, I don't know, post-apocalyptic Buck Rogers. This idea that we're going to get up to, you know, you know, technology that is practically magic in its applications and still manage to hunt each other for food in the ruins of our uh, high-rise apartment buildings if we fuck it up.
2: Right, you know, right. The,
1: it, it does not matter. It, it, we'll be wrestling over the last phaser, you know, if we, you know, if we get really super high-tech. We can still go down to that kind of animal level. And that was really weird in Gamma World, that there was this technological utopia, hundreds of years in the future, very Star Trekky or, you know, whatever, high High end fantasy science fiction, and we still managed to ruin it.
2: Right. You know? uh, I think that's, that's you can say that for a lot of civilizations over time. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Now, um, uh, but also let
0: me ask you, uh, you you've kind of touched on this uh, a bit when we've we had our conversation, but uh, one of the general questions uh, we kind of ask is what did you see missing from current games? Uh, that inspired you to create uh, your games to create your basic expert content, your Gamma world content. D- did you see something missing with the current uh, games that made you want to do this? or does, what, what 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 drove you to do this?
2: Well, it's funny because I um, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of friends in the industry, some guys that work for Frog God and other other companies. and I always jokingly say I'm gonna put you know I'm gonna put out the low end of the market. I'm going to do the black and white old school look. I'm going to do the inexpensive books. You guys go ahead and build your 400 page full color crunchy books, but I'm going to keep generating those 16 to 48 page black and white books that, you know, I know that there's a generation of people that really, that that brings back fond memories. And to me, that's, that's sort of what I want to do. Um, Sure. Would it be nice to build like a 500 page hardcover setting that would be beautiful to look at? Yeah. But I'd rather I'd rather churn out twenty smaller books in that same time frame. So
1: you, you must be getting a better endorphin hit, you know, being able to do more successes, you know, over you know a year, uh, where I you know takes whatever three years to churn out a Delta Green book, you know. But you're getting a hit every every season, right, or even faster than that.
2: Well, the thing is, this is I'm also I've also um, have a, a weird way towards my creativity. I I basically get inspired by lots of different things at once and will try to move to what's most inspiring at that moment and work on that. And then the next day I might be doing something slightly different on something else. That's why I have 20 or 30 things sort of half finished because I'm always moving around. Um, That that works for me. Some people look at it as kind of frenetic and crazy, but I look at it as – I let my inspiration drive me that day. And if it's today it's going to be working on the BX fanzine and then tomorrow it's going to be on, you know, a module from June, you know, for June's North Texas or finishing up a three-book series for somebody else. I do that. I meet all my deadlines, but I'm I may not be smashing through them all in one continuous fashion. You know, I have one set of content, you know, for a week. I might hop through four or five different things. That works for me. That's my style. Uh, I'm like a ferret, man. I can't, you can't, I can't look at one thing. I got to look at lots of different things and move. So
1: I don't blame you. It keeps the creative juices flowing. Having to work on something for months at a time or a year at a time is exhausting.
2: I've done it. And I don't, it's not my preferred way of creativity. So
1: no, I appreciate that. I really do. Um. So uh, did, did you say, well, I guess we sort of asked what was missing. Um and you're you were talking about these these sort of small bite size easily digestible, playable in one night or two sort of scenarios and and things like that, not epic you know uh things like uh I guess I think of bookhounds of London or you know uh, which is this giant thing for trailer Cthulhu's out that's you know again full color three hundred pages, but you've got to commit to several months of playing that um Uh, when you're doing these small, digestible, easily, you know, sort of managed projects, um, what's your biggest challenge for that? Uh, Is it that, I mean, it sounds like you do have an issue with jumping from project to project, but that only seems to energize the individual project you're on at the moment. Uh, are there any other real challenges? I mean, that almost seems like an advantage, a feature, not a bug to your process. It doesn't really feel like a problem.
2: Well, my, my biggest problem is that I, I can only, you know, I, I can do layout. I can do, I can do, get things published and printed and I can organize that stuff. I'm pretty, pretty efficient when it comes to um, making sure I hit deadlines. But I'm, you know, wrangling the cats, man. You know, just getting the artists to do their bit and getting the editors to do their bit. Although I have a really good editor now, so I'm very pleased that he's able to keep up um, with my sort of me pushing stuff at him constantly. But in the past, it had been hard to get people to look at my work and commit to be able to review it in a period of time. And if I can if I can surround myself with people that I trust, like, you know, for example, the guy who does um, my fanzine covers, he's done all seven and will do all of them as for the foreseeable future. Matt Ray, his name is, he's out of Florida, Jared. Um, he's out of Jacksonville, I believe he oh, okay. he he's a workhorse man he does he if i give him a timeline it's done every single time and those are the people that keep me moving if i get if i get caught up with an artist or somebody who can't meet the deadline that just that just kills my that kills my mojo you know it kills, it just saps my creativity so keep getting the right people to work with on your projects because they're small, you don't need a lot of them, which is great, right? I don't need 14 artists. I need one, two, maybe three sometimes. Getting them all lined up, getting them all firing, staying on top of them while I'm doing my part gets the work done quickly. But if I had to do, you know, if I had if I'm a one-man show, so if I had to wrangle up 20 artists and two cartographers and three editors on a four-page book, I would never finish it. Mm. It's going to happen for me. So those are my challenges is – keep it small um, or, or face the, the problem of trying to, you know, be a project manager, not a writer.
1: Yeah, so. and exactly. Exactly. It, uh. and
2: that made me think about something else uh, <clears throat> uh,
0: related to the fanzine. Cause I, cause in the fanzine, I guess, I guess I should ask uh, also, or did we cover that? Like what kind of content uh, you plan on having in the, especially the Gamble fanzine, I guess like, uh, mini-adventures, uh, artifacts, mutations,
2: so I guess, all that kind of stuff, right? Right, definitely. I'm going to definitely have a one main adventure. I'm going to have another small-side adventure. I'm going to have several um, new creatures, some new tech, lots of flowcharts, because I love flowcharts, man. I just love flowcharts. So I'm going to have flowcharts <laughs> in there. So you can, and, and, and by the way, I love the ones in the world rulebook. However, some of those things are so excessive and take so long to get through, then I want to boil them down to smaller bits but still make them challengeable. Um, and then also I'm going to do – now I have an interview with Mr. Ward, so that's cool. Uh, I'll probably have a little introduction talk about why I'm doing it. Um, and I have an awesome little comic already from Travis Hansen, who's the comic book artist who does my BX fanzine. He's already drawn it. I, I'd like to share it, but I don't want to spoil it, so I'm going to wait. But he did a half-page – Comic, and as long as people like that kind of thing, we'll just keep doing that kind of thing.
1: Mm, fantastic. When you're talking about smaller flow charts, are you going to do it for things like let's say the players just want to Jimmy a door and they don't have a the card, they don't have an ID card? Mm-hmm. Is it even like a flow chart for okay, you and your primitive knowledge of the ancients and their technology will now try and get this door open by popping a panel or something like that?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think so. Oh, that's good. So he's like you probably can't see here cuz it's too Oh, I can see it. But the top one here, look how small that one is. Yeah. Then of course I have a bigger one, but that's for something complicated. To me, that's the idea of the flowchart is, you know, you because it's a con, I write for con games mostly, you got to be able to get through it in a period of time, right? If you're sitting there rolling for 20 minutes trying to get through a flowchart, we've missed we've missed the um, sweet spot on that. So for me it's, you know, 5 minutes or less you're through the flowchart five minutes maximum, obviously yeah. you see the flow chart moving on um, everything from wedge doors to broken terminals to, um, you know, uh, so, sort of security that's gone sideways. It isn't quite right anymore. So it needs a little special handling to understanding how to use a device you've never seen before. Those are all great little flowcharts. charts. And Gamble yeah. has a, the rule book has some great ones, but if you look back on those or some of those pages, man, they're, there's like a hundred boxes in one flowchart. That's wh- that's a little bit too complicated. So, yeah.
0: And Scott, that's funny. You should say about a primitive uh, trying to get through a, a a malfunctioning door with an ID card because it brings me back to remember. Uh, but one friend of mine in high school used to run uh, our game World game. Usually, a lot most of the time it was just me and him, and we'd he'd have NPCs. But there was uh, one little campaign we did where we had some other players. And I think this is one of my original characters. uh we wound up at this uh this cybernetic installation and we got in there and we wound up getting trapped in there because we got i guess we got like detained and put somewhere and we were never able to get out of the level like no matter how hard we tried he made it he made, made it too complex now it wasn't just a flowchart thing it' was like he just made it to where we tried everything we could think of to try to get through doors or did we can never get it. We got basically our characters just died in there, you know, yeah. we, you know, cause we didn't finish the game. We can never get out. So uh, it, it made me think about that when you, when you were talking about that.
1: You know. Well, something as simple as a door should, should be a death trap yeah. in the right situation. Um, I, uh, I, and I guess this goes to the question about uh, your um, inspirations. I was going to say that one of the most gamma world things I have, ever read, uh, besides Hero's Journey and the Unrequited Hero, which are right on the money, Gamma
2: World. um, Excellent books.
1: Is uh, Eternity Road. um, Jack,
2: Jack McDivitt.
1: Yeah, Jack McDivitt's Eternity Road is one of the most Gamma World things ever. And it made the most simple things in the ancient world deadly. You know, it did a great job of making Oh, well, there's uh we're just getting going to open this room up and Oh, darn, there's been some gas buildup on the other side sure. and you, sure. you just, you and your torches out in the hallway just ignited a room full of, you know, methane or whatever that was trapped from decomposing, whatever. And now you've been blown up for, you know, for, for just opening a door, you know, worse than the worse than the worst creepy tomb of horrors traps, really, you know. Um, what are, what are your inspirations? Are you familiar with McDivitt's *Eternity Road*?
2: I, I know of it. I've never read it. I've read *Hero's Journey* a couple times, and absolutely love that story, and and wish for a third book. Yeah, <laughs> like most do. I also recently read Wool Oh yeah, um, we we've
0: covered the we've we've covered the we we read the the whole uh, *Silo* trilogy and reviewed
2: all three books on the show. Yeah, and where where they may have more more understanding of technology in that it's it's the whole you know spoiler alert it's the whole fact that there's others out there that they don't know about that's really breaks your brain you know so it's yeah. i like that kind of thing that see I'm, I'm a big fan of twists so i like to write my adventures with a little bit of a twist here and there not too many of them and not obvious ones but i like to have some twists in there so people you know say oh geez i didn't see that coming um and you know with Gamma world it's so it's always a trick to balance the the um environment and the adventure um so that you don't just ruin parties right out of the gates right like it, the world is deadly but if you really made it as deadly as it should be nobody lives right yeah. it, you, so instead of playing game you're playing call of cthulhu where everybody goes, everyone goes crazy so you know it's like you got to make sure that it's an enjoyable game and people can survive and advance but you still got to you got to reinforce that like you said there could be gas behind that door and someone might not make it because they were, they didn't think it through all the way. So it's a, it's always a balance of how deadly do you make it? What
1: are your, uh, what are your inspirations, fictional inspirations for when you start to crack open uh, something for uh, something Gamma world. Like when you think of a Gamma world environment, are there certain fictional people that were most influential in your
2: ideas of your Gamma world as you see it? Um, well, I, I read a lot of science fantasy when I was a kid. Uh, I do like um, the more of the, the post-apocalyptic world than the dystopian, although I like sort of the ideas of both. Um, I read a lot of stuff like I read spa- like Space Vikings and Oh Yeah and Journey and all those old pulpy ones um, from the fifties and sixties were fantastic. But um, I tend to take a look at what's going out there, what's going on today. And then see if I could make a Gamma World twist of it. So a lot of the ideas I come up with are like, what would what would that look like if it was in a different setting? That same same situations in a in a post apocalyptic setting, and I usually twist it up a little bit. So okay, uh, I mean I, I read a lot. Um, I read mostly fantasy, however, um, but I will. But lately I've been reading a lot more um, science fantasy and a little bit more science fiction. Um, okay, just because it's just you know it's just hitting me now. So.
1: Um, are you familiar, speaking of inspirations, are you familiar with uh, Michael Moorcock's Jewel in the Skull series?
2: I know of Michael Moorcock, but not the Jewel in the Skull series, no.
1: Um, it's, pretty, it's got some Gamma world in it. It, it? Is a, it is a post-apocalyptic world filled with mutants and weird high-tech, and, uh, it's, um, uh, and in it, uh, magic and technology have gotten confused. Yeah. And there's a so it's a it's a real hybrid. It it <laughs> maybe it's more like Thundar the Barbarian than it is yeah, uh, Gamma yeah. World. But it's uh there's a it's a very yeah, there's definitely a very um uh, and monod- thunder
0: and Thundar is not Gamma World.
1: Well, yes it is.
2: It is. It's okay. pretty much the yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't going to bring this up today because we're sort of you know, talking about Gamma World, but um, I'm in the process of finalizing a new game system that is called Desolantia, which is a post-apocalyptic fantasy. So basically, high magic implodes, and now you're back to a, a very hard-surviving type of world. Yeah. Um, it's a D2 system actually. So you it's very binary. So zeros and ones on dice that you roll. Chess X made some really cool ones. Um and it's skill-based and it's fun to play. But I because I love post-apocalypse settings so much, I even took a fantasy setting and made it so that oh. it was like a disaster and now you're starting over. So well
1: that, that's the, that and I love that idea. Hell, Robert E. Howard did it with Conan's Hyboria. Conan's Hyboria is set in a post Magical Armageddon world, um, uh, Which is fan, and which you know made it even more under. It gives me a better understanding of that world. Which you think of it as a post-apocalyptic world, right? Um, Well,
0: speaking of uh, inspirational books, I know Scott, you mentioned uh, uh, *Eternity Road*, which again is one of my favorites as well. Is uh, uh, Tom? Are you familiar with the Andre Norton books? Uh, *Daybreak 2250*, also known as uh, Starman's son. I've not read that one. No, uh, Starman's son. Very uh, post, very ish But even better, a lesser-known book by Andre Norton was. She wrote a book called No Night Without Stars. Okay, really? no, no night without stars. Um, very le- le- uh, lesser-known. I discover I discovered the name of it like maybe a, a few years ago, Scott. And yeah. Every time I go to these used bookstores that I go to around here, I find stacks. I'll find five No Nights Without Stars, whereas I've never seen them before. But No Night Without Stars is very Gamma World. It is that track you down on the copy, or I'll get you a copy of it. Okay. No Night Without Stars is to me a great post apocalyptic Gamma World book. It's, you know. You got the primitives, and you got the mutants who are messing with them. But then they run upon a, a cybernetic installation with a crazy freaking think tank. Basically, that's what it is. It's like you know, um, you know, a lot of people might say, "Oh, like Portal." With you know, this you know, it's like you know what? This book was written in like the sixties or seventies, way before Portal was around. But it's that it's that crazy cybernetic installation is in this book. I mean, I just kind of spoiled it, but. Um, but it's it's very Gameworld. That's that's one that's one of my favorite world inspired books, right there. Yeah.
1: If you're a, if you're a fan of um, uh, Hero's Journey and then Unrequited Hero, yeah, you'll you'll dig on some of these titles. You really
2: will. They're- yeah. In mean, Hero's Journey, I remember that that part. I think it was the end, I don't know if it was the first or second book. Oh, they get oh that,
1: are we, are we going to stat out the Morse? We absolutely have to have stats for the Morse.
2: Yeah, I think I'm going to do that for issue two. Issue okay. two. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Clues well, have to live yes Clues you, were, are,
1: you were saying you were saying I'm sorry I interrupt with the Morse thing what were you saying Tom
2: well I just said that that, that what really brought home hero's journey for me or the or the, the book pair was when they actually go down into that facility and you know they try to blow it up and it's like yeah you're like you're 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 riding around in the back of a, of a moose you know through swamps and stuff dealing with these weird creatures and now you're down in this actually high-tech facility and it's just it's just nutty it's nutty that's what I love about those kind of Gamma World books is that they just mix that stuff right up. Yeah, yeah. But I guess
1: at its best, it should feel like a fantasy world, and right. then just behind the curtain, there's this reveal of what the world really is. Right. You
0: know? And I, and I like those kind of books because here's a debate I've always had. Me and Scott always have. And there's a, a interpretation of Gamma World that people think that it's totally wahoo over the top. Now. I could see where people are coming from with that. Okay. But that's not how I, or even Scott played it. We didn't play it hard science, but we took it serious. We didn't, we weren't Wahoo like they did with seventh edition. They made it so over the top that it it was, it's like way, it's way too too ridiculous for me. It's like, it's not, to me, it's not enjoyable, you know? And I know the, um,
1: I wanted to play gamma world, like, eventually I ended up playing Fallout. When the very first Fallout computer game came out, my first thought was, holy shit, it's the Gamma World I wanted to play. You know, yeah. that was sort of my reaction.
2: Uh, to the- well, well, the- and, the fact, and the fact that Gamma World's background and the history of each edition of Gamma World, the world that you're in, it was caused by different reasons for each edition sort of muddies the waters with Gamma World. I, I prefer... The reason for the for the the apocalypse and what's presented in the first edition to me that's that feels right. And some of these other ones where there's all this alien invasion and other yeah. stuff, like, yeah. I don't- I don't want that. I don't want that.
1: Well, the, yeah. the idea that we solved every social problem except us.
2: Yeah, we screwed it up. That's I love that. Yeah. That's, that's the.
1: We, we, we even fixed the environment. I love where they're going. You know, they've reversed the damage of the environment. You know, the the seas are alive again. The whales are back. You know, the rainforest is fantastic, and we still blew it. You well, know, well, even right. after we fixed all that.
0: Well, that's the thing is all all three of us are children from the Cold War. Okay, we grew up with the Cold War and the fear that, you know, the Russians were going to come down the street and and so on and so forth. So yep. so so having yeah, so having that apocalypse being this whole nuclear devastation, at least in my mind makes sense to me because like that's what I that's what I grew up with. That's what I knew. It's like, yes, there will be an apocalypse because there will be nuclear bombs and there will be radiation.
1: But it'll be that cool 50s radiation that makes giant ants. Oh yeah, of course. You know, I mean that's kind of how I always looked at it. This is sort of a '50s retro future, right. You know, uh, right. thing. Literally, Buck Rogers blew up. You know, we are now on the ruins of Buck Rogers. Yeah, uh, and that worked. Of course. It, then again, Buck Rogers was post-apocalyptic. Now that I think about it, the uh, the original novels, Armageddon, twenty four forty, whatever it is, it's a it's a post-apocalyptic world. You know um shockingly uh i guess I, sh- I should i should flash gordon or but whatever but yeah i i like the uh, original terrible ending to the world because it was like yes you can fix a hunger disease the environment the economy uh everyone has plenty and it just doesn't matter because we're still gonna find reasons to kill each other yep. over minutia, essentially yep. hell and they even and- fixed racism i mean in the the twentieth, second, or twenty third century world of Gamma World, there's no discussion of racial bias or white supremacy or any of that. We fixed that too, but then we still found reasons to join and call somebody else the other, you know, and be you know internally xenophobic. All
0: those factions, you know, yeah. You mean you mean cryptic alliances?
1: Yep. yep. And I love your take on the cryptic alliances in that one scenario where. The whole thing about the the aircraft that's been knocked down and he's taken to the base that thing right there that was one of the best looks into the the horrors of the you know of the apocalypse as it's happening mm-hmm. that was a great look backwards um it really was it it, it was one of the it gave me a, a a really good sense of what that world was like in a tiny number of words
2: right yeah one of the things that I always found to be one of the few shortcomings of the first edition gamma World was the fact there wasn't a lot of history with the factions. And I felt like if they had fleshed out another couple of pages in the factions, I know there was some fan stuff that was done later that talked about it, but I would have loved to have some canon on um, what that, what those factions really did to each other to sort of set the, 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 the world up for you. So I, I did take some liberty, did some research, but I did take some liberty with that and put it in there. And I really like having a little extra meat in that.
1: I uh, I myself always wanted to find a way to tie the current crop of cryptic alliances to some of the pre-war factions. Mm. Like, you know, somehow some of them have grown up afterwards, but maybe there's some some who still think they're fighting the war.
2: Right. You know?
1: But they're still going to somehow be the last guy standing from this fight that doesn't have any relevance whatsoever anymore. You know, but,
2: you know. Like robots recalling the troops from space? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and
0: I do like uh, that the fan scene, just to go back to that for a second. Um, I do like that you're going to be doing these other mini scenarios because one, one of the things that I always loved was in uh, issue 52 of Dragon, the Cavern of the Subtrain. It was uh, a mini adventure and I, just, I loved it. I just love that little adventure because, you know, that I like that kind of stuff because those are little snippets little things that you could drop into your, if you're running a current Gamma World campaign, you could easily fit, fit that in, you know, just modified a little bit to make it work and whatever you have running. And I, and I like when that little bit of that kind of content comes out. Cause I like the mini adventures, like, sure. you know, the Albuquerque spaceport was a good mini adventure. I liked, um, Kavanaugh of the Subtrain. So I assume you're going to be doing kind of stuff like that, like these little mini, mini modules.
2: Right. Uh- the just As a little bit of a quick spoiler for the fanzine, um, the the main adventure in the fanzine will be a, um, a facility that actually was experimenting with mutations before the war. And there will be potential to have some of your mutations reversed if you get in there and you pull the right switches. So some interesting things like, you know, you've got those negative mutations. Maybe you can fix those. Maybe you can get a new mutation if you play around with this, which is in a weird way.
1: Oh, that, that flow chart's not going to be simple. That's not going to be a 4 no, star
2: That one might be a little more complicated, sure. Yeah. Or you're trying to get rid of the bad
0: one, but accidentally, oh, I got rid of the one that was really good and helpful.
1: Yeah.
2: Right, exactly. So that's the main one. And then there'll be a smaller one that'll be take up less pages. that will be just an extra one because I want to make sure there's two. So. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm, right. thrilled, I'm thrilled by that only because I like the idea. You can retcon the idea that some of these mutations are the result of some something other than classic radiation. That it's some other high tech magic that the ancients released during the wars and it's just turning
2: everybody inside out. Into-
0: you mean, you mean nanotechnology? Yeah.
2: yeah. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, it's that, it's that whole world where magic and technology merge and you don't know the difference anymore. And you know, what were they doing before the war? They were doing some, some crazy stuff and Hey, you just happen to find a place that's still sort of functioning. What do you want to do about it? So that's what we'll build as the main adventure. that will be the center of the fanzine. So cool. Cool. I,
0: I I am I don't know about you, Scott, and I don't know about the, about the fans. I am so excited to have this uh, fanzine come out, just to, yeah. to see the content and the future content in it. Now, I
1: I really hope I've be able to find the time to throw you a few thousand words. I would love to be able to to submit. Yeah,
2: them. I would I would love to take it. I would love to take user submissions. Believe me. Mm.
1: Now,
0: now the now the Kickstarter uh, for people who uh, don't know about it yet, I. I Sure, uh I po- I posted a link uh on the post for, for this show, but people who are just listening to it, uh you could uh find it on Kickstarter. I, I assume that if you just do a search for Gamazine, it'll come up. First thing, um, yep. First thing. So uh folks, you know, check that out. It it is a reasonable price. You could get yourself a PDF for what $3? three dollars? Three dollars. PDF for three dollars, you could get uh for five dollars you could get the pdf and the print version but the print version is basically what just a coupon code for drive through rpg correct
2: that's correct yeah you're going to pay you're going to pay wholesale base printing costs and shipping through rpg but the the money that you're giving me is really just to pay for the cover art the, the cartography the editing and um, just sort of getting the thing lined up and nice and nice and neat so yeah
0: and folks don't don't uh, fret about that because uh, the actual production cost for drive through RPG pending. Uh, I've only printed like uh, playing cards on drive through cards. I've never printed uh, any books on there, but I'm sure the prices folks, I don't know what, what it would be, but I'm sure the price would be pretty low. And you just got to pay for the shipping yeah. uh, for, for that folks. It's, it's not that expensive, but also think of the, the think of a, you're supporting a small, tiny, independent, uh, uh company
1: artisanal. This is artisanal gaming. <laughs> at its finest.
0: It's fine. So you, you're you're helping out the independents, the small producers to be able to produce more content. It, it's not a very expensive price. And I uh, said so we've already looked at a couple of the bits of content that Tom has put out, and it's very good. So yeah. uh, so for the price you're paying for this little bit of content, folks, nothing to fret about. You know what? So you know what? Skip going out to uh, for that steak dinner uh, just once in a month, and you could. Well, cover the price of uh, printing the fanzine at ten times over. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, the the estimate on the um, on twenty four to twenty eight pages is going to come in a little under three bucks.
0: Okay, folks. Well. So you're paying five bucks plus another three bucks, and the only thing with the with the drive through is the shipping's a little expensive.
2: Right. But you um, capitalize on getting a couple things at once. So yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. So, but still very reasonable price. So again, folks, it's called. Uh, it's basically uh, on the Kickstarter. It's called Gamma Zine. G A M M A space Z I N E. Just go to Kickstarter. You can find it. I've also posted uh, a whole single post to it on the blog. So if you just go to podcastatgroundzero it'll uh, be a post. I've done that in the last week, and uh, it'll also be in the in the description of the uh, the post for the pod, for this for this show's podcast. And uh, how many more days do we still have uh, left running on that, Tom? It ends next Friday, so you got seven more days. So we got seven more days. Uh, Tom has already pulled in over nine hundred already, correct? That's correct. Yep. All right. So nine hundred dollars for three and five dollar pledges, folks. He's got a lot of support for this, um, and he's got. More, and we could, if we could get some more support for uh, Tom, uh, to raise more money, we could get more pages, more content out there. Yep. And-
1: what's the uh, what's your next uh, uh, stretch goal?
2: Uh, it's 1050 for four more pages of content. And basically what that'll be is I've got, um, some monsters and some tech that I was kind of saving for, for issue two. Hell, I'll throw mm-hmm. it issue one. That's all. So we're going to start putting more of the stuff that I've sort of stretched out. We'll just pile it into this first issue. Um, there'll be, you know, like I said, I got an interview from, um, Jim Ward. I already have an idea for an interview with somebody for issue two. So I'll work on that. Um, but, yeah, we'll just pile more content in. I mean, it for me, writing words is pretty easy. So I will I can I can fill that sucker right up with great, good stuff. It's a matter of, okay, do I want to, you know, do I want to buy more art? Um, you know, do I, do I build more flow charts? Do I want to add a whole different topic? Like in my fanzine for basic and expert, I do product reviews. I was going to stay away from product reviews for Gamma World. Um, but if people want to see a product review, I may do that.
1: Okay,
0: very good. So again, folks, it's uh, Tom Wilson. Uh, he's from Throw Eye Games, and it's spelled just like it sounds: Throw I Games. Yeah.
1: Uh, Gotta ask, where'd the name come from?
2: Ah, uh, it's one of those. It's one of those that I, I I don't necessarily regret, but I'd like to go back and change it. Um, it's <laughs> it's actually Throwy Games, and it's actually T H for Thomas, R O for Robert, W I for Wilson. That's me. Um, I also have a, a, a another um, logo that I use called Nomad Gaming because I had a different leg of the business that was doing um, more uh, like Magic the Gathering and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I sometimes will use the Nomad Gaming logo uh, instead. But it's basically throwy games.
0: Oh, so yep. it, oh, so it's really pronounced throwy games. Really, right, yep. Okay, I'm calling it Throw-Eye Games because I'm just trying to get people to be able to spell it. <laughs> so,
2: are good, sure.
0: So, e games again, go to Kickstarter right now, if you're listening, and, right and just look up Gamazine. It'll pop right up, you know, throw Tom $3 to get us even more content, okay? okay. So, uh, that's it, folks. Um, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. We've been going for a little bit over an hour, but we've gotten a lot of good conversation a lot of good information out there, uh, Tom. Any any final words for the folks out there?
2: Uh, well, you know, in general, it's I, I love I love talking with other gamers, especially gamers that are that are were in the trenches with me back in the '80s and we played the same games. Um, I like producing materials for people who don't want to spend a fortune on a book. So. You know, if you like the work that I that I I make and you want to support it, I'm just gonna keep making it till nobody wants it. So I can see for the foreseeable future continuing to make digest size, black and white, small page count products over and over and over until someone yells "uncle." So enjoy.
1: <laughs> You're not gonna hear that from me, not anytime soon. I have been scouring the internet for for little clusters and in collections of old Gamma World stuff that was made back in the 80s. And, yeah, I, um, I've, I've exhausted most of the legal sources. And uh, we'll say enough said about the ones that might not be quite so licensed.
2: But Oh, uh,
1: there's just not enough. There's just not enough. Yeah,
2: it's, it, it's sad to see that only four products were made for first edition, four legitimate products for first edition. You know, you the rule rulebook, two adventures and a screen. It needed more. Yeah, absolutely. Like it came too quickly. So
0: it did. All right, so uh so that's it folks again. Uh you know, if you, if you if you're inclined, help support uh Tom to c- continue to give us good content. Uh but we're going to wrap it up uh for this this uh week this episode. Uh next episode we're going to do what we originally pl- we originally planned a uh off topic uh, for this week, but uh I came across the Kickstarter and I wanted to go ahead and uh get uh Tom on here to talk about it before it was over. So again, Gamazine So, next one's going to be that we'll probably do it next week. We're going to do an off topic uh, uh, show because I got a lot of different things to talk about. That's not, you know, again, not one specific focus. And uh, as usual, like I always tell people, be socially responsible. If you are a person who watches the video on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Um, uh, I also recommend that everybody goes to the blog podcast at ground because that is a central hub. For everything that's where i post uh everything and it just goes out to the different uh social media facebook twitter and things like that uh you know you just subscribe to it via rss feed or uh, by email you're only going to get when I, you're only going to get stuff when i post it so that's the main place to do that and uh again you could you know you'll be able to you could also subscribe if you if you're an itunes user uh i post the audio uh onto itunes it's on the blog but it's also on itunes and if you are on iTunes and you do listen to an iTunes, please uh, give us a review or a rating uh, on there just to, you know, make us look better. Uh, and that's it folks. So that is it for this week. So again, Tom, we love to you on. We love the conversation. Thank you for uh, joining us uh, this time. And uh, that's it folks. So we got Tom, me, Scott saying good night. So uh, friends, We will see you in the wastelands.